I met, uh, who I call my mom, her real name is Jeannie Mayo. I thought it was Jenny Mayo when I met her. And she let me call her that for about an hour on the way to the airport when I was dropping her off. And uh, I was 19, trying to find out how I could go to hell the quickest. Um, And she called me every single day for nine months until I gave my heart completely to the Lord. Went up to move to Chicago, uh, Rockford, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, and was interned by her for three years and then spent two more years on her staff. She really is my mom in the Lord. And uh, I want Allie to share her experience real quick. And I, I was thinking about this morning, it's been 15 years ago nearly almost to the date. I met Jeannie by chance. I was volunteering in a um, district uh, ministry office for youth and uh, we were having a youth convention coming up and Jeannie was the main speaker. There's probably about four to 5,000 students in attendance. And I was asked just by chance because I was volunteering in the office if I would host the speaker, which means drive to the airport back and forth, whatnot. And I've never done that before. And I was so nervous. And I remember thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I don't even know how to speak to this woman. What am I going to do? I was just so nervous. And when I picked her up, it all went away within five minutes because that's what Jeannie does is she makes you feel like you've been around her for hundreds of years. And I remember that on the very last day, it was, it was just awesome. I spent, I think two, two and a half days with Jeannie and we, I was driving her to the airport. It was about an hour drive. And right after we got to the front doors, she said, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what I am doing with my life right now. But I said, I'm about to go to college, but I just feel like there's something else. And she said, you know what? And she looked down at her shoes. She goes, I'm going to give you my shoes right now. And she said, I want you to walk in these shoes until you come find me in Rockford, Illinois. Because I just might know your hus. And she shut the door. And I was like, hus what? (laughs) I don't think she knew I heard it. And I didn't ask because I thought, you know what? I'm just going to leave it. But I, I... had the shoes and I remember I wore them for seven months until I finally came to visit in Rockford, Illinois. And sure enough, she knew my hus, my hot hus. <laughs> but I just want to say that I am so thankful that for some reason at my wedding, she told me that she thought she heard the Holy Spirit tell her that I was to be Frankie's wife, but she wasn't going to tell me at that moment. And I walked in those shoes and I wore them on my rehearsal dinner night, even though they were a size eight and I was a size nine. I was like walking around. But today I want to give you some shoes back and they are yellow box shoes. And I don't know if they're special to Texas, but I wear them 24 if there was a hundred hours in a day, I'd wear them over and over. And they're just, they're flip-flops, but they got some bling. And you will wear them to bed. That's how comfortable they are. I love you. And I wanted to give some back. Love you. All right. Why don't you stand to your feet and make her feel real comfortable. Would you do that? So, um... I, I was thinking, what message could relate to a wonderful church, their birthday, all that sort of stuff. And, it, and I kind of thought about my own personal journey. I want to talk to the Christ followers in the room today, or people who are thinking about being one, perhaps. I guess my biggest challenge has not been backsliding. You know, could I have backslidden? Could I have totally walked away from God? Yeah, but that's probably, not probably, that really hasn't been... The big deal, you know. 
Oh, I got mad at God several times, ticked, all that stuff. But, you know, I'm out of here. You know, it's kind of like Jesus said to Peter, you know, you're going to leave too. And Peter said, where else do we have to go? So do I want to be a Buddhist? (laughs) He looks boring. (laughs) You know, you know. (laughs) But anyway, and you go, well, I, I just don't want to believe anything. Oh, you believe something. You just build your religion around yourself. That's pretty scary to build your life around you. Self, S-E-L-F, Satan's exact location forever. Self. And, and so, you know, what, and so I thought I'd talk to you like what I need to talk to myself. So if you're given this morning uh, comments, and I'm not going to preach at you. Is that okay? Can I just, because I can do that. I can say, and this morning, the message is recovering. Hallelujah. You're cutting edge. But you know what? It, they're my kids in the Lord. You just acted like you like me. So when your family you don't have to yell at each other. Do you know I can be anointed if I don't yell? But if you need me to yell, matter of fact, Isaiah will come back to that keyboard. <laughs> and I will dance for you. All right. Uh, I'm going to talk about recovering my cutting edge. And in, in spiritual, I'm talking about coming back to uh, what Revelation would call my first love with Christ, you know, when it was fresh and new. And I, I want to quickly make a disclaimer. I'm not talking about feeling a certain way emotionally about Jesus. Uh, because we all say we don't, but in reality, we all feel closer to Jesus when we're feeling emotional about him. Does that make sense? But as every married person in the room knows, real love has very little to do as it matures with feelings and much more to do with choices. I always say right choices eventually bring right emotions. And forgive me, I was supposed to hand these to Lance. So there aren't many left and I forgot to do that, Lance. And so... Um, I'm not talking about, you know, becoming some senior high kid again who, you know, every time they walked in church went, "Uh," I'm just saying your first love where you say, Lord, a world out there is dying and I want to make a difference in that world. When I die, I've already figured out what's on my tombstone. Do you know what's, I see, because I want to live into my epitaph. See, I'm going to live on purpose. Do you hear that? I'm going to live on purpose. I'm not going to let other people figure out my epitaph. I'm going to figure out what I want the signature of my life to be now. And by God's grace, I'm living into it. And it's going to say 100X. And I probably won't take time to explain that right now. But uh, what I'm trying to say is, in order to do that, it's not feelings. But I have had to over and over again kind of fight through the moments in my life where, gosh, I just had let too much distance come between me and the Lord. Again, I wasn't backslidden. But, gosh, to say that Jesus was really the epicenter of my heart, really? And my thoughts and my talk and that pleasing him and reaching people for him was the big ground zero of my life. I don't think so. And if you've lived for God longer than a year or so, you probably relate, you know. So how do you deal with it at those times? Let me tell you a story from my life that typifies and then I'll read the scripture. Uh, It was Nebraska and my hero and husband and I pastored there about... 
15 years before we went to Illinois where I met Frankie and Allie. And um, I was going into our, our house in Nebraska one day, and I put the key in. And all of you are going to relate to this if you have to open any door by key. I put the key in, and it wouldn't immediately turn the, the lock shaft. So I pulled it back out thinking I stuck the wrong key in. It was the right key. I've done this hundreds of times. I put it back in, and then I realized that I needed to jiggle the lock a little. You know, because the key was old enough that gradually through wear and tear, some of the edges and the sharpness of the edges of the key had gone off so it didn't match quite so well to turn the lock. And so I, I jiggled a little bit, and sure enough, it turned. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, just in my mind, nothing weird, that's how it is between you and me recently. And I knew what he was saying. He wasn't admonishing me. He was just saying, I used to be able to quickly unlock the door to your heart. We were close, Jeannie. And I'm still there. I'm still in your heart. But now, time, wear and tear of life, ups and downs, disappointments, whatever. It's it's taken the sharpness off the edges. And, and so my access to your heart, to ground zero of you, is not what it used to be. Don't you relate to that? I think we all do. You know, it, gosh, you can come for a million reasons. You're tired. You're overworked. You have a million responsibilities. You have some huge disappointments. Sometimes it's sin. Whatever. We, we all relate to that. And so what I'm talking about this morning to you as my newly adopted spiritual grandfamily, I just made a term up, is uh, it's just how do you deal with those times that we all have? Because unless you do, you're not going to impact that world out there, you know? Let me read a, a scripture that maybe you've, you've heard before. It's Second Kings 6 verses 1 through 7. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And Elisha said, Go. Frankie, honey, or Michelle, give me that little bottle of water. I should have brought it up here. Just one of those. My fault, my fault, my fault. Thanks so much. Isn't Lance handsome? He's more godly than he is handsome. But he's plenty godly, so that means, yeah, okay. One of them says, when they said, let's go to a place and and build a new place to live, and Elisha said, go. And then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. And he went to the Jordan, and they began to cut down trees, because remember, they're going to build the, the ministry student's dormitory out of the trees. And one of them was cutting down a tree, and the iron axe head, and many of you have heard this scripture before, fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. 
it, the accent, was, what's that next word up there? Sure, it was borrowed. And the man of God asked, what's next words? Where did it fall? Kind of a weird question. And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there. And when he did that, that simple action made the iron float. Lift it out, Elisha said to him. And then the man, he's nameless in the account, reached out his hand, reached into the water where the axe head was now floating miraculously. And he picked it up and took it. Do you know what this morning is about? It's about saying to the Lord, sharpen the accent on me a little bit. Give me a little reminder this Sunday morning on the ninth anniversary of the why behind the what. Do you hear that? The why behind the what? How come we do this? Do we just go to church because we live in the South and, and, and there are more church goers in the South than there are Christian? I mean, anyway, we're church. Everybody goes to church in the South. No, that's not the why behind the what. We do this thing. We fight for our own closeness to Jesus Christ. Not because it's easy. Not because life doesn't take it out of every single one of us. But because we want to make a difference out there in that world. I said to the first crowd, and I hope this resonates with you. Don't you want to have something to show for life when you stand before Jesus in heaven? Don't you? Don't you want it to be more than my four and no more? Don't you, don't you, don't you realize that all the money, that's awesome, but it all goes away when you die. Don't you realize that the cool house you're in, the amazing vehicles, all that, all that is awesome, but you can't take that to heaven. Don't you want to be able to stand before Jesus one day with more than just fire insurance to get out of hell? You want to be able to say, my life counted. Frankie and Allie have heard me say so many times, they probably almost cringe when it comes again. Martyr missionary Jim Elliott's quote, it's the mantra of my life. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what celebration is about. That's why you're having a ninth year birthday because people that stood in the back and some folks up here, they've been around So let me quickly take you on a a journey from 2 Kings 6, just two simple things, because I want to talk about how you recover your spiritual cutting edge when you lose it. And again, it happens to all of us. I want to talk about two main segments of the message quickly, the kind of people this happens to, and secondly, how to recover your cutting edge spiritually when you lose it. Now, let me quickly go to the kind of people it happens to. And I I hope I've already said enough to make this pretty clear. Number one, in this passage in 2 Kings 6, these were the sons of the prophets. These were the guys that were training for not just ministry, full-time ministry. They had walked away from all of their career fields They were training for ministry. And at that point in time, the culture was such that it was not something that was a highly lucrative position. 
There are many reasons why that would bring hesitancy. But so these guys are good guys for crying out loud. You know, they were, they were the, the Bible school of yesterday. And then secondly, what do we know about these guys? They were into spiritual growth and spiritual vision because they said to Elisha, they said, man, this is this Bible school and, and, and preaching for Jehovah is such a big deal. You're such a good teacher, Elisha, that we've outgrown our dormitory. We need more room to sleep. So listen, we got a, we got a vision. We got a plan. See, everybody in the church can tell people problems. It's just that not many people are willing to stay before the Lord and not only get an answer, but be part of the answer. That was really good. Yeah. Allie liked that point. Yeah. Let me say it again. Lots you know, people go, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, who died and made you God? No, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, I did. The, the issue is that anybody can figure out stuff that needs to change in a church. It's having enough vision to figure out how to change it and then to be willing to let yourself be a part of that. And so these guys, they were. They not only had the vision for let's build a new Bible school, but we're going to go and we can go to the Jordan. We've cased it out there. There are enough trees. There's enough land. And we can go there and we're going to all get busy. We're going to work. And we're going to cut down the trees, build a new dormitory. So they had spiritual vision. And last of all, I think these guys were under authority. Let me tell you why I say that. Because they, they wanted Elisha to come with them. You know, they said, Elisha, you're awesome. And, and he had already said, go ahead, do it. It's a good plan. No, sir, but we want you with us. We, we don't think you're too old to be relegated away. Man, maybe you can't, you know, pound the axe head real hard, but, but I'm sure they were saying, we'll do that. We just want you and your prayers and your covering. See, they understood the importance of spiritual authority. So what I'm trying to say to you is basically even the best can lose their spiritual sharpness. Do you catch that? Even the very best as it happened to me so many times I've lost track. And do you know why I'm still in the game? Because I have the guts to admit it. That's why. That's why. I've responded to more of my own altar calls than I can tell you. (laughs) And I told Frankie when he left for full-time ministry, he'd better be able to, too. (laughs) How do you recover your cutting edge? Let me do a a quick walk through that passage that I read from King's. And, and it's so simple, but so important. You know, what is it? Is it a matter of just coming? See, we in church worlds, we just think you recover it by the worship leader. Gosh, your worship is good. Can we just pause for a minute? Hallelujah. Listen, the devil could feel real Christian with that team leading worship. I'm, see, I'm a worship leader before my voice went to heaven. So please don't ask me to demonstrate. Okay. So, but I mean, the minute I heard his chord structure, because I'm also a keyboard, so I went, oh, in the first service I hit Frankie, I said, he's so good. And then he opened up his mouth and sang. I went, oh, yeah, thank God you're married or you'd have every single woman in the world with a crush on you. 
Thank God you're married. You'd be a little safer if you just gained weight. And then the women, oh, Lord, dear God Almighty. Sister, I have red shoes on and a hot black outfit, and I'm married to the hot worship pastor. Oh, gosh, you're good. And then, i got to tell you, then, I, I know I know everybody's names, but I can't remember. And then Queen Bee, you're right. She opens her mouth. Yeah. Ooh. I'm there, folks. I'm there. Just forget the preaching. I, myself, am coming to faith in Christ this morning. But I'll tell you who my favorite worship leader is. Mm-hmm. Let me find you. Is that you? Were you here? Are you this gentleman? Okay. Sir, what's your name? What is it? Ken? Ken? For real. Ken's my favorite. Ken's my favorite. Do you ever watch Ken during worship? He is so into God. Now, sister, I wore a red suit. You're amazing too. Oh, there's the Holy Spirit. Okay. But, <laughs> and Holy Spirit two and Holy Spirit three. I don't want to offend anybody. You're all wonderful. You're all breathtaking, but Ken's my favorite. Ken's, is he not? And you know what? This church is alive today because of people like Ken. Amen. You can clap for all the kins. So what do you do, what do you do when you say my axe head? It's not as sharp. The key doesn't turn. Verse five. This is how you recover your cutting edge. You admit from verse five it was borrowed, and I say here honestly admit to yourself if you own your own spiritual axe head. Or if your axe head was borrowed. Just admit it. You know, I, I say it so often, I've already said it a couple of times, no pastor can sharpen your axe head no matter, he can help you. But the job is not for your pastor to preach your axe head sharp. The job is for you in the non-glamorous days, on the non-glamorous ways to get your nose in the Bible when you don't feel like it, to talk to the Lord when you don't feel like praying. You know that when you don't feel like praying, you just talk to God about it, right? Because if God still has to make you feel something every time you read and pray, you're pretty immature. Because he knows that you're so immature that if you're not having feelings, you won't do it. That's not love. That's lust. Spiritual lust. And, and so, you know what? Sometimes you, you say, I borrowed my accent. See, I think that a lot of people, and I, I wrote it on my notes here, most people don't want a revelation from God. Instead, they want a man who's paid the prices to have a revelation from God. Because they don't want to have to pay the prices themselves. And, and so... You know, when I I say he had borrowed it, and I want to call to your attention that he's in the middle of lots of other Bible school guys that are chopping down trees. I want to remind you, and this is the part I need to hear from me, that he could have kept chopping forever. And really, if he didn't fess up, probably nobody would have noticed his axe head was dull. You just keep going because who's counting how many trees that guy fell, how many trees that guy. No, we're all busy. We're doing our thing. 
And isn't that so easy to just show up for church, go through the drill, eat afterwards, all that sort of stuff, and never stop to say, hey, the axe head's a little dull. The, the Lord's having to work a little hard to get entrance to my heart. Now, I'm not backslidden, but it's not fresh as once it was. And I'm going to claw my way back. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute to do some simple things to make it that way. And then verse six, how do you get your, your cutting edge back? The man of God asked, where did it fall? And, and so I'm going to say to all of us, listen, yes, you repent, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, but then you've got to figure out how'd I lose it? Where'd it go? What were the factors? See, God gave you a brain and he is not ticked when you use it. And, and so what, what caused the cutting edge to go away? The accent. Now, I, I, I've got some that are mine, and maybe you'll relate to them. This is me. Um, choose, choose any of them, and I'm sure there are a bunch more. I think you can lose it when you're busy or tired. I told the first crowd, busy, B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. And you know that old Spurgeon quote, when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. Have you ever slept eight hours and still been tired when you got up? Yeah, we all relate to that. I think you can lose it when you forget the spiritual basics. You know, just the, I, I call it, Frankie and Allie have heard these say a million years, I call it the 10 and 10. I used to try to have an hour of devotions every day. And got to tell you, for spiritual guys like my husband, that works. I, I just didn't pull it off. So I began to say to the kids in the youth group, because that's, that's what I've done my whole life. I've just hung out with teenagers and young adults and then youth pastors. And I, again, why? Why? Because at least, you know, teenagers cuss me out to my face. Adults just talk behind my back and call it a prayer request. <laughs> so... But I love whoever just did that. Some woman went, oh, <laughs> you're right. Okay. <laughs> but, but see, just, I, I said, okay, Lord, even if, if I can have 20 minutes a day, 10 minutes in your word, 10 minutes in prayer, and the 10 and 10. And for me, five out of seven days a week is a win. And if I get in more time than that, praise the Lord. But I just make a little appointment time with him. Because, and it's in the morning, though I'm not a morning person, because I know I can control morning hours. So lots of times we lose our cutting edge, not from anything profound. We just fail to do the basics. And then sometimes we, we lose the cutting edge because of the drain of the long haul. Do you know that when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to say to you, he already tells you the very first line he's going to say to you. He's not going to say, well done, my good and talented servant. He's not going to say even, this is a mind blower, well done, my good and spiritual servant. We all, not all, but many of us know the adjective. What's the adjective? Well done, my good and faithful servant. He says, if you just stick in the game through the long haul, If you just have the grit of endurance, I'm going to be clapping for you at the end. I'm going to be clapping. That's worth clapping for. I'm going to be clapping, Jesus says. If you just stay in the game, 
The longer I do this Jesus stuff, the more convinced I am that a big part of the secret is just doing what you know to do when you don't feel like it, because eventually some of the feelings will come back and Jesus will be in the same place you thought you left him. Sometimes, for me anyway, I, when I say, where'd I lose the cutting edge? When I was hurt or disappointed. Ah, uh, you know? The hero of my life that I reference has done almost 50 full-time years of ministry, and he's not retired, but we went, uh, he wanted to not be the senior pastor, and so two years ago, we went on a staff, and and the week before we officially joined it, thinking his life could slow down a little bit, found he had a very serious cancer that's still, the ramifications are still there. Then had a pacemaker put in about four months later, kidneys starting to unravel. And, and I would say this, not, never in our home, now let's get back. Not long before I left the house, he was laying in bed and, and he looked out the window and, and the trees were, some of our trees were losing leaves. And he said, I feel like, that tree out there, just things hanging on it, waiting around to fall, not much good. And I said everything you'd expect me to say. All I'm saying is this season of his life is not like we planned it. And, and you can get hurt. You can get disappointed. You can say, God, if this is how you treat your friends, how do you treat your enemies? Life's, life's not the cookie cutter formula you thought it was, is it? And some of your answers to prayer are probably still going to come exact. See, God always answers your prayer. He just has different answers. Yes, no, wait a while, and I will if you will. All four are answers. And, and so the issue is, you know, and sometimes he does wind up giving you the answer you want. But let me tell you something. God is far more oven than he is microwave. He just takes a lot longer to get something done. than you. Shoot, I thought that one would be over. So you can get hurt. You can get disappointed. Um, you know. Obviously, unconfessed sin can cause your cutting edge. And we know this by attitude or action. When we focus on pleasing the wrong audience, I'm a people pleaser. And, and so if I'm not careful, I hear the one voice who tells me I didn't do okay. Instead of some other voices that think I'm, I'm all right. And, and then verse 7 on how do you get your cutting edge back? You take the axe head up for, what's that next word? Sure, Yourself. You lift it out of the water yourself. And that's so obvious. But gosh, in the Christian world, we don't act like this. Listen, only you can sharpen your own axe head. The living God will not allow his relationship with you to be cheapened by having continual second parties there. If the only time I was close in that intimate time of sharing with Sam Mayo, my husband, was when there was a third party there, it would cheapen it. He loves you too much 
to let you become dependent on somebody else. Now, Frankie, um, you know, all the team here can be so helpful in your journey. But the bottom line is, if you want closeness with him, if you say, I don't want to be like other people who, yes, they keep going to church, but little by little, their heart for the lost, their passion to have their life count for something, it dissipates. I don't want to, and we've all seen great people like that. And I don't even condemn them because I understand them. In seasons, I am one of them. All I'm telling you is I am one of them at times, but I am determined by the grace of God not to stay one of them. So I go pick up my accent. I pray when I don't feel like praying. I read when I don't feel like reading. I reach out to people when I need somebody to reach out to me. And, and you know, it's that scripture of Revelations 2.4 on this first love when the revelator Jesus said, I have this against you, you've forsaken your first love. What's your answer to that? And your first love for the 20th time, I want to say, has nothing to do with emotions. And your answer to that is in the next verse, go do your first works again to restore your first love. Do the stuff you did when you first gave your heart to Jesus, when he first turned the switch for you. You know, when Allie and Frankie, oh, I was so there when they were falling in love with each other. I was so there. It was sappy. It was (laughs) disgusting, but it was right. And I loved every minute of it, you know. It was, what what were the things you saw? Let me tell you their first works, because it's your first works with Jesus. Time alone. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't want me hanging out with them the whole time. <laughs> Selfish little brats. <laughs> Communicating. Because they, they understood each other. But that took time. And sacrifices. Sacrifices. I wrote in my notes here. Do you know why perhaps your spiritual relationship with the Lord might be cold? Maybe it's because it stopped costing you. stop costing you. You stop bringing people to church, overcoming the awkwardness, insecurity. What if they don't like it? What if they tell me no? You stop listening to the guy at work that you don't have any more time for. You stopped putting double tithe in because nobody knew and you, you hadn't become a billionaire and you'd done it for at least three weeks. It stopped costing you. I'm going to end by having some of my friends come up. If, if they will, guys, come help me. I'm going to tell you a closing story. And this one is from history. And it is very true. Um, because it's such a picture of people who fight to have their life count for God out there. Who, who are willing to pay the prices, who say, listen, I know I'm not perfect. It's, I'm not asking Jesus to make me feel some hype or something all the time. But I am determined that in a world of casual Christians, by your grace, only by your grace, God, I don't want to be there. See, it, here's the problem with soft beds because they're very much like spiritual apathy. Soft beds are easy to get into and hard to get out of. And that's apathy. 
So the story from history is of the Roman Empire, and and the Emperor of Rome, um, you know, had obviously many key soldiers. One particular legion was well known. It was 40 guys, and they were the 12th legion, and they were known as uh, really one of the strongest legions. They had the best record in battle. Uh, They were just amazing warriors. A few of them had initially given their lives to Jesus Christ, and history then tells us that they did what we want you to do. One by one, they shared the reality of Christ's love. They lived it in front of each other. And eventually, history says all 40 of these guys were Christ followers. The emperor put out word, and again, this is early Roman Empire time, true story, that he wanted everybody to worship him. And so that was no problem because you kind of could add him on to the list of all the other gods you were worshiping, kind of like America today. But the guys in that 12th legion that I told you about, the Christians, they sent a different message back. They said, your highness, we are your loyal followers. We are more than willing to go to battle for you and for, for Rome. We are more than willing to give our lives for you and for Rome. But our worship and heart's allegiance can only go to Jesus Christ. Thus, we cannot worship you. It infuriated the emperor. He sent several messages back and forth And then the true story says that eventually he gave them one final warning. And he said, you tell them that if they're not willing to begin to bow down and worship me along with the other gods they serve, then tomorrow morning I will send another platoon of soldiers to bring them to the center of of the Roman uh, city where, where people kind of like the downtown most populated area. In the middle of a Roman cold winter where the lake in the middle has turned to hard ice. And I will humiliate them because they will be forced to disrobe in front of the population and then walk barefoot to the center of that frozen ice. And we'll see if their God is the real God if he takes them off that ice. And then in in an act of cruel cynicism, that's why they're holding candles, he said laughingly, tell them... We'll give each one of the 40 a candle before they walk out. And we'll, I'll tell the soldiers to light the candles. Perhaps your living Jehovah God will keep you alive instead of death by the light and heat of those candles. And so the next day, you know how it played out. They refused to renounce their one and only faith in the Lordship of Christ. They were, they were marched to the frozen lake, forced to humiliate themselves in front of thousands of people, disrobe. And then another platoon was stationed by the emperor, obviously around the, the frozen ice so they couldn't run off. History says, and years ago there was an old song out called 40 Martyrs for Christ that the guys huddled together and made an impromptu song. And they held those candles. And I'm sure what initially had been a joke, they probably fought to keep relighting as the the thrashing wind came at them. Every ounce 
of humiliation that could be physically, emotionally, every way. I can't think of a much more agonizing death except the cross, obviously. And and those who study say death by freezing comes slow and is so agonizingly painful. And so there they were trying to keep their candles lit. And as the hours went on, history tells us that it was several hours before the first guy dropped to the ice, never to get back up again. I'm sure praying for death. All the soldiers that were around, stationed around the ice kept screaming in, come off the ice! Come off the ice, you idiots! There's a fire over here! There are blankets! Get off the ice! And as they continued to pass the time with drinking, I'm sure they got even more boisterous about it. And two people fell, eight people fell, 14 people fell. The hours went on. The darkness hit. We all know what happens in winter or anytime when it's dark, it gets colder. The wind's ripping through unclothed area, unclothed bodies, humiliation, and, and watching people begging, moaning on the ice for Jesus to bring death quickly. And they kept hearing those voices, come off the ice. And so finally... It was about one o'clock in the morning. 39 guys were on, huddled on the ice, had refused to run off, but couldn't stand anymore, and they were either dead or dying. One man left standing. I can't imagine the weight, can't imagine what he felt. And finally, something snapped. And if you've lived life before, you understand snaps. We're all capable of them. That's what grace is all about. Grace gives you a comeback when you snap. And he snapped. And he began to run towards the guys that had been yelling for hours, come off the ice with the big fire and the big blankets. And into the darkness, he said the magic words, I Renounce Jesus Christ. They celebrated. <laughs> they threw the blankets around him. They're, you know, doing whatever he did back then to high five. I mean, so excited. They were so drunk, so excited, so into their party mode that they didn't even know what was happening on the other side of the lake right then. Because one person had disappeared, their commander. He was very sober. And he had been watching the willingness of 39 men to pay whatever price it took to impact a culture. He had been watching 39 men who had every excuse in the world to come off the ice. They could come off, repent for it, probably make it to heaven, all that sort of stuff. Refuse. They had been giving a visual picture of what a real Christ follower looked like. That world out there will not be changed so much by messages from any pulpit. It will much more quickly be changed when they see in your life what a real Jesus looks like. And so history says that the commander began to disrobe, not the emperor, but the commander of the guard platoon. And they, they probably wouldn't have even known in the dark until they heard his voice coming from the other side of the lake. He shouted loudly as he walked barefoot onto the ice towards the, uh, the mob of 39 guys. I 
choose Jesus Christ. I choose Jesus Christ. And when the sun came up in the morning, there were not 39 dead bodies. History records there were 40 dead bodies puddled on that lake. 40 men who decided to show the world what real Christianity looked like. 40 men who had a million rights to run off the ice because it was cold, it was costly, it was everything but fun or pleasure. But 40 men who said, we believe this thing. We believe we're playing for forever. Folks, let me tell you something. This is not the warm-up game. You're in the real Super Bowl. And the clock's ticking. That's why I get on planes and get up at 5.45 so I'd be peppy for the 9 o'clock crowd. You're not tough to be peppy for. 9 o'clock crowd, if you're not a morning person, that was peppy. Because I still think I'm playing for the end. You go, well, if I preached, I'd get up early too. Oh, baloney. Most of my real hell-defying stuff has nothing to do with the pulpit. It's listening to people. I didn't, I didn't have an impact on your pastor because I preached good. He, he didn't give a rip about that. I listened when he needed somebody to listen. I call, do you know why I had to call him all those days that he brags about? Because he was spiritually so flip-flop that I had to keep reminding him Jesus was real crazy about him. And then say, honey, are you in the bars? Frankie, get out of the bar now. You didn't laugh over that. That's either because you love the bars or you're mortified thinking your bishop was at the bar. Listen. Listen. Don't come off the ice. Do you hear me? Don't come off the spiritual ice. If you don't remember one thing from this ninth birthday celebration, don't come off the ice. A world is waiting for you. We're going to play that song. You can phrase out the music because I love it so much. Lord, I want to be broken and poured out for you. And, and so, you know what? Would you just quietly stand? We won't pray long, but short prayers reach the throne room when you don't live too far away. I didn't come here just to see Frankie and Allie and Lance and Michelle, though that's a huge perk. I asked Jesus as I fell asleep last night again, Lord, do something tomorrow morning. I want some of you to get to heaven one day and say, oh, Jeannie, that morning that you came to celebration, it was practical enough teaching that I could say, okay, Lord, help relight the fire inside of me. Not emotion, but commitment. That morning, and I had stuff going on in my life or in the future, and I said, Lord, by your grace, I'm not coming off the spiritual ice because I want to make a difference out there. Well done, my good and faithful servant.
faithful. We all got a crack at that. Just get up and keep going.